Welcome, Welcome to the Learning Can't Read Podcast. I am a so excited to be here with you for At another Mind, episode. Our vision is to ensure every child has access to exceptional education. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. Hey, welcome. I am your host, Haley Spearman. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so glad you are here, and I'm so grateful to Mohan of Our Turn for introducing us. I love to meet people that have been and are continuing to do the work in education, and you are absolutely no exception. I think the folks listening today are going to be incredibly inspired by what you have to share. Thank you so much. I, I don't know, but we're going we're gonna to say some stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. That's the point. Let's say some stuff. Let's see where it takes us. So. Charlene, can you start us off by telling everybody, how did you come to be the personal and professional version of yourself? Ooh, so let's go back and it's all going to connect, I promise. Um, the organizer in me always tells stories. So my first year of teaching, I had an opportunity to teach, um, I'll just say the city, not the school. And I and I was killing it. I think I was killing it because I, well, I'm the youngest of seven. So I used to have a little pretend classroom. So I was teaching folks since forever. Um, and in that first year of teaching, I absolutely loved every single thing about it. I loved putting up boards. I loved setting out pencils. I loved the notebook paper. I loved the highlighters. So when it came to the end of the school year, it was no different. And you know how, you remember the end of, state, end of the year um, test you used to take as a kid or a student? Can't forget them. The, yeah. The Iowa tests in New York State, they were something. They were something. Yes. So imagine that time and your first year of teaching. But I was excited. Um, Usually folks are nervous, but I was excited. The kids were learning and I wanted them to show what they were learning. So I'm co-facilitating the end of the year test. Um, And I was walking up and down the aisle thinking about my grocery list, you know, trying to pass my time because it's boring to facilitate. Um, thinking about this person I shouldn't have dated. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw something. Um, I saw uh, the person I was co-facilitating with pick up a pencil, um, erase an answer, uh, fill in another answer, um, and then proceed. And I freaked out. I was like, what's happening? Um, we're not supposed to help students in this way. And I went out and ran out of the classroom. When I went to the school leader, um, I talk, spoke about what I saw and the response was, you are the last one hired, you'll be the first one to go. When I sat in that moment, I was shocked. Um, I remember driving from school and I was scared. Um, I was crying um, and I did what I did back then when my parents were leave, living, I called them. And I did, I was telling, I was recapping what happened. And my dad, he interrupted immediately. And he said, hey, um, the children need a champion. And any excuse you make to not stand up for equity will be a lie. And I was like, dang. Wow. Like, so, yeah, I was like, dang, this is what we're doing? So I remember challenging it. It eventually escalated to the superintendent. Come to find out cheating was happening for a while. It led to me having seven school leaders in less than 14 months of my teaching career, teaching four grades in less than a year. But it, it more so led me on this path of power building and understanding who holds who accountable. There's no way that that should have gone on that long, especially because folks knew 
Um, it, there was no way um, that it should have happened at all. So with the relationships that I have from parents, I constantly think back to that moment. If I knew now what I know about organizing, what could I have done? What could we have changed? So it led me down this journey of power building and community organizing, first starting with the Industrial Areas Foundation, then doing some national community organizing fellowship work with Leadership for Educational Equity, organizing in my hometown of Charlotte, shifting to innovate public schools to lead our national partnerships and training work, um, serving as a teaching fellow at Marshall Gans at Harvard, and then the work that I'm doing now, starting my own firm um, to make power more practical. As I said a moment ago, wow, that is, <laughs> it sounds like the most pivotal turning point a person could have in their journey mm. to decide what path they take. Like you had a fork in the road. I you did. could back down, you could have turned a blind, you could have turned your eye away, you could have done a million things, but take action and really, you know, be a whistleblower here. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot for you to walk in your power. I mean, I'm, for folks that can't see me, I'm a dark-skinned Black woman. It also takes a lot to do it in this skin, and I'm constantly reminded of that. And I'm also reminded of if I waste time, um, it's a form of inequity, and I'm not here to sanitize um, what it takes to pursue it. How has that held true to you throughout your career? Obviously, you you're working in the space to help make power practical. So how does that get actualized in the places and spaces you've worked and lived throughout your career? Mm. So the most recent examples, a few months ago, I um, actually worked with a group of folks in Utah and they're like, hey, we did some really dope policy work. We also did some really dope work during um, the rise of COVID, but we also know to create stickiness in this work, we need to have a different mindset. They didn't use the word power at first, but I worked with them to define it as well as cultivate an experience where families were making decisions. So fast forward over the course of six, seven months, we first started out with them defining who their people are. And then at the end of that month, those months, we gathered a people's assembly close to 140 people or so with 19 different cities. And it was a power building training. And over that course of that weekend, they surfaced their top three priorities for their political platform. So that's how we make it practical. It is a beautiful experience. It is a messy one. Um, but I am really big on the applied learning and coupling the espoused with the action. Um, because, yeah, again, I, I believe that wasting time is a form of inequity. That sounds really awesome. And I imagine that, you know, one thing I find challenging about our education system, and I imagine you're working in and related to things education oriented, given your background. So correct me if I'm wrong in that assumption. I don't want to be incorrect. No, no, no. You're right. I do. I okay. did. So mm -hmm. I imagine, you know, one challenge that I, I routinely hear from folks that join this podcast is about the differences from across the country, from mm. states. And we know that there's right now a very political dynamic occurring that in education, as it always has, but it's pronounced in different ways today than it has been previously, mm -hmm. that this work would be really nuanced depending on the context and environment. Do you find that to be true in your work? And if so, how does that look? Um, there might be some, there might be a little pushback here. I would say, yes, it's nuanced, but power is power. 
uh, a lot of folks are apprehensive at first when we talk about power building. They're like, oh, this would never work in my city. This would never work with my people. This would never work with my leadership. Like, no, that's your mindset. I've literally seen power, uh, power um, activated across many different demographics from cities as 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 small but beautiful and diverse and black as East St. Louis um, to larger cities like Atlanta or Charlotte or Houston. Um, I've seen it overseas. So even though there are nuances and issues, power is power and the activ the activiz the activization, that's not a word, is it? You know what? We're gonna make it a word. <laughs> that we'll, we'll we'll go a different direction because I'm struggling. The application of what we call the community organizing skill, the community organizing cycle, can, can can be applied anywhere. So it sounds like there's a framework, regardless yep. of the setting, and the framework yep. can be applied and thus, as you say, activated using this community organizing cycle. Tell me more about that. I want to know more about what that looks like. <laughs> Of course, you know, I love to talk about community organizing. So it starts with what we believe to be the most revolutionary tool, listening. Um, and that tool is something called an individual meeting. So listening and learning. Now, how this is different from advocacy is that we aren't just listening to listen. We're also listening to surface issues. We're listening to identify leaders. And you take them, you're with them along the journey. That listening goes to learning. Um, and that learning can look anywhere like what are the issues? Um, how can we make this issue practical and applied in our city? Um, how do I go from something broad from racism in an education system to a restorative justice pilot? Or um, my my three-year-old is unable to be in a building and structured learning environment to universal pre-K. And we work with folks, but the thing is, we do it with community members, with family members, with parents, with students. And then you can't stop there. One of my favorite people, Ken Fujimoto, who organized along Cesar Chavez and a brilliant organizer, talks about how action is like breathing to the body. You go from listening to learning to acting. And what that can look like, it depends on the type of campaign. It can be asking a key decision maker um, to move on something, um, to... Uh, working internally to make to build your internal capacity, and then always don't forget to celebrate and rest. Um, rest is also a part of the power building work as well as reflection. I've been really fortunate to learn from some really brilliant organizers like Mohan mm -hmm. and other folks from the National Parents Union and mm -hmm. Educators for Excellence. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I found is there is a I'm glad you say rest because there was this tireless year over year, decade over decade energy that's required to sustain this work. You mentioned rest as part of the cycle. I'm actually mm -hmm. interviewing a bunch of school leaders and superintendents tomorrow about this topic of work-life balance, quality of life outside of work and rest in order to sustain the important work they're doing in schools. But yet it's difficult. There's so much turnover in school leadership right now. How difficult do you find it to be to convince community organizers to incorporate rest as well? Uh, thank you for that question. Um, I think that if you, not I think, if you are a seasoned discipline organizer, it doesn't take a lot to convince you. Actually, I don't have to do the convincing because you understand that it is, an, it is a discipline. 
it's a part of your intentionality. One of the things I did as an organizer when I was organizing on the ground is at the top of the year with parent leaders, with families, um, I would create a calendar, a calendar of the legislative cycle, a calendar of our campaign. And I would start though with questions like, hey, when do you want to be off? Like you can be off from this civic work. You could take time off. Now there will be heavy seasons and we may still call on you, but when do you want to be off? When do you want to take a vacation? So when we teach that you need institutions to fight institutions, and a part of that institutionalization is intentionality. So if we're not being intentional about time off just as much as we're being intentional about strategy and its application, then we aren't creating sustainability. We aren't building capacity. We aren't building leaders. And I would even dare to say we aren't building something that's going to live beyond ourselves because not doing so to set back and rest and reflect is not intentional. I like want to clap and snap and like, I'm not <laughs> yes, that is so true. I think it's that like sustainability piece that, you know, burnout is so real for mm -hmm. so many people. And especially for populations that are enduring some secondary trauma by the work that they mm. do and that are working in really challenging structural inequity systems of structural inequity mm -hmm. and so yeah you can't sustain the work unless you're really giving yourself the space to have the energy to be show up every day yeah and another thing is like yo and you also have give space for the work to look different than you planned if you're holding everything as an organizer, then again, there's an opportunity for growth there because one, you aren't creating space for leadership. And two, that may be a sign that your capacity isn't what you think it is. Too often when we, and I've seen sort of the tokenization of, of, of Black folks or, or people of color sometimes like, oh, you're that one Black parent or you're that one Brown parent. Um, no, you need to find more. You need to build leaders. In organizing, we teach that a leader is a person with a following. And too often we get into that burned out phase, a lack of sustainable phase, because we don't have a following and or we don't teach others to have a following. Give it up. Get rid of the kiss, kiss the ring mentality of going 30 years before you can lead this work. No, no. If someone is waiting that long, that's a reflection of your leadership, not a reflection of them. I actually consider that one of my, one of the practices that, and I, I, you know, I'm not in community organizing work, but one of the practices that I think translates based on what you're sharing here is the idea too, that you're surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you mm. and that you're elevated, you're growing and learning, and you have a clear plan for succession as you make room for the next generation of thoughtful, intelligent inspired leaders below you yeah or you're just surrounding yourself with people <laughs> um <laughs> like people because sometimes uh, you know um uh, and and if again with the intentionality one of the things we teach is motivational task design and it creates these tiered approaches for how folks can engage if you aren't being intentional about how to activate the gifts and the leadership inside of people again you will lose capacity you will not be able to sustain the work or you will burn out your leaders. And the, I believe in addition to wasting time, that's also a form of inequity because you're not growing the work. Thank you for sharing that. Charles. Of course. Really powerful. I have a question for you about where we are today within mm -hmm. around schools. Mm -hmm. There's lots to be proud of and excited about. And I think we have to, as you said, celebrate 
those mm-hmm. wins and successes. And there's a lot of challenges in school reform, school change, school innovation, depending on what you want to call it, depending on who you're talking to. How are, how are you looking at the current state of our schools and what both gives you hope and feel do you feel like is a challenge before us? Oh, I, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, complex issue that I still believe is rooted in hope. The current state of our schools is like, yo, they're, they're still our, they're still our schools. Um, They're going to be there. Um, There is a hunger. That's what I will say. That's the current state. There is a hunger for something different. There is a hunger. I'll even say for power. When folks and parents and teachers and students and school leaders and, and district leaders and superintendents are exposed to power for the most part, depending on their mindset, they're like, okay, this is different. And I want to activate in a new way. And that's where 2541 comes in. So I would say the current state is one of hunger um, to try. And I don't, I don't want to say new things, but to try things that double down on keeping the main thing, the main thing. Um, that may sound vague, but I'm very resistant to say like all schools have the same need. No, power building gets to the need that works for your school. Power building gets to the need that works for your um your city. Um, yes, there are federal. There's yes, there are state things. And um, I would say one of the things that provides hope and power building is that if you get closest to those that are impacted by this daily, we can do more change. We don't like folks speaking on behalf of us. So why are we speaking on behalf of parents without first seeing what their needs are? Why are we speaking on behalf of students without having a conversation? When we do that, we make an assumption that we know what's best for them, that we know what they need. So oftentimes, sometimes, oftentimes the policies are out of alignment with what's needed. Um, so yeah, that those are the things I would lift is hunger and like misalignment. You started the conversation with speaking on listening and you circled back to that listening. Mm. You know, listening is a skill. It is a skill. Charlene, what tactical or practical advice could you give for folks that want to be better at listening, whether for the sake of community organizing or even just for their work in school districts right now that are listening to this podcast? Mm. The skill around listening, and I got this in my early organizing career, and I forget who is um, the, where the quote originated from, but the the skill, or I don't want to say trick, but the discipline behind listening is being both interested and interesting, creating this space of curiosity about the person, and also inviting curiosity about yourselves. Too often we go in making assumptions about someone's self-interest without actually clarifying it, without actually seeing what fuels them, without actually asking, yo, what are your values? And as a result, we make assumptions about folks on the right, we make make assumptions about folks on the left, and we aren't able to move because we're moving on our assumed self-interest versus the clarified self-interest. The other piece I want to lift, though, is like, it's a two-way street. Sometimes we go into spaces and we say, follow me, follow me. But hey, why why are you worth why are you worth following? Are you sharing anything about yourself? Is there an exchange? Is there a sharing of values, a creating a shared pool of meaning behind the work? So pausing to create a space where you're listening with one another. Now, this isn't a private conversation, it's a public one, but you could still talk about values. 
Um, so that's what I would lift is like being interested and interesting and inviting space for dual um, curiosity. You are so, I like asked that question off the cuff. We didn't talk about it, but like, you know, this works so deeply. Obviously you are an expert in this space. Thank you. I just appreciate the way that you are like, you really already know the answer to that question. Like I, you know, listening again, it is such a skill, even like leadership management books mm. that I all talk about listening and you, you, you just write a book on this. Have you written a book yet? Not yet, but I might just, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, one of the reasons I start, I started 2541 is, um, I want to, I want to, I want folks to be able to listen to a different voices. I want to change what the face of organizing experience can look like and, and diversify it. We go back to maybe two or three white men as the origin of community organizing. We need to change that face. Um, and I hope to, 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 to shake that mess up. I think you're shaking it up. I, you, you say hope, but I think it's happening. Thank you. I'm here for it. <laughs> Charlene, I'm glad you touched a little bit on the work of 2541 and why it exists. When you and I spoke, you specifically named changing the face of community organizing. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. I'm wondering, as I'm talking to you right now, who else you lean on in this space and who else you've worked with in the past that you feel like is really aligned to this way of thinking and this, this forward momentum in community organizing? Oh, there's so many. Uh, one, Jamal Nelson. Uh, he is a brilliant brother who does dope work on the, um, the EDBI side of organizing and power building to create space for mindsets, culture, et cetera. Um, and how to build power with equity. Um, to Ken Fujimoto, a brilliant organizer who's been in this game since high school. It's been his only job since high school. Uh, Ken Fujimoto is brilliant. He's ground. He showed up for me as a Black woman when I was organizing in Charlotte, and together we secured $132.2 million. It was the first time our city ever released funds, our county rather, ever released funds in advance of a bond. Um, and when other folks were like, this is impossible, Ken Fujimoto was right by my side and grounded me in the, the fundamentals of community organizing. Um, someone else that I lean on, I would say, is Dr. Yasmin Mumby. Um, uh, just started her firm um, a, a year or so ago. It's called The Ringo, brilliant organizer. She's the only or one of the organizers I know that's been able to turn out 3,000 people and has win over win over win. And she's able to create this really cool space of leadership, thoughtfulness, mindfulness in both body and soul. Um, and I can keep going. I, I, I don't want to get in trouble and forget any names, but there, when I tell you that I'm in tremendously blessed, like Shonda Kowser comes to mind. Um, oh, Spark Bookhart. Uh, there are so many people that come to mind and I cannot forget my parents, Pastor Charles and Connie Mack, who grounded me in this. So there are so many that come to mind and anyone I forget, please forgive me, but there is a list of people who have invested in me and I'm super grateful for. Thank you for sharing some of that list. We know it's not exhaustive. Yes, it's not exhaustive. <laughs> and you know, it, it, it is inspiring for folks listening to be able to check out other leaders in this space that have, have brought you joy and brought you mm -hmm. uh, support and and made this made this work even more possible and exciting to be part of so thank you for sharing that of course
Charlene, I have to ask you my final question, which again, the time has really flown here together. <laughs> it has. Um, I'm wondering what advice you would give a teacher who's starting their career today. Mm. Say the tough thing. Say the tough thing. If you're if a if a session after school is being facilitated and you have parents that um, English is in their primary language, say the tough thing to make sure you get a translator. If your resources aren't being all allocated equi equitably, say the tough thing. If you see that Black children are being suspended at a higher rate, say the tough thing. Say the tough thing, um, and you can couple it with love. I would actually say that saying the tough thing is a form of love because you're promoting equity. And I would say, thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you're doing. Ooh, I have the chills. That was, no, that's, I, I haven't heard that before. And it's important. Mm. That is so important. And is your thread line. It's how you began your story today with me on the podcast. And it has driven you in your work of making power practical and definitely guided you in creating 2541. And I'm excited to see where it, where it goes. I'm excited to follow your journey. Charlene, thank you so very much for coming on the podcast today. Of course, we're just getting started. I'll, I look forward to the fellowships, the trainings and the, the, the revolution to come. Thank you. And thank you for everybody who tuned in to the podcast today. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at fullmindlearning.com.